So the, the Tower of Bubble Tea, the purple one, is one of my best sellers. I've had it described as um, a mixture of old socks and muffins. You know, actually when they do ask me that, that's what I tell them and they want to buy it all the more for some reason. <laughs> were harmed in the making of this podcast. Hey everybody, uh, you're listening to The Two Vegans. I'm Chirag and this is episode 9. We've been noticing a rise in the number of vegan options that we're starting to find all over the city. And I'm not just talking about food. We look at things like clothing and accessories as well. We're always interested in trying to understand, as well as showcase, some of these options, some of the thinking that goes behind it, uh, and from time to time, some of the businesses. So a couple of weeks ago, we caught up with uh, Anna Muzzer from The Hub 7, a restaurant in uh, the Jumeirah Lake Towers area of Dubai, or JLT as it's known. And we kind of chatted with her over some really nice vegan bubble tea what it's like running a restaurant and trying to cater more and more to vegan options and having a dedicated vegan menu, as well as a little bit about her journey and how that's influenced the restaurant and its menu. So to start out with, I uh, wanted to understand a little bit about how she got started with the restaurant. So basically, the Hub 7 was actually the brainchild of my father and my sister. I was opening a salon in, in a nearby area at the time. Due to sudden plans, my sister had to go to America three years ago. And that's when I took over the place. And at that time, uh, it, it was just the... Just the, the setup. The setup was done. The menu had to be made, the chefs had to be hired. At the time, I was a meat eater, which is why most of the chefs over here, the, about barbecue and other such items. Yeah, if, I, if I was vegan at the time, then it would have been completely different restaurant. <laughs> so you started giving up meat about a year and a half ago, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. So basically, my closest friend, she turned vegetarian about 12 years ago when she saw chickens in cages in India. And she started telling me about this and I didn't really understand it quite so well, you know, because she was still discovering it herself. Then about two years ago, she turned completely vegan. And that's when she started sending me videos, you know, we watched documentaries. And I really came to see what, what's happening behind the restaurant lines. I, I was so distant from seeing the actual animal on my plate. You know, they call cow beef for a reason. When I, when I actually came to see all of this, that's when I started making my transition slowly but surely. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that you kind of, you, you transitioned slowly out of it and, and stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Okay, what I was really concerned about was honestly not being able to stick to the diet. I run a restaurant of you which serves meat. I have friends who are some vegan, some non. Um, we go out and I will be tempted if you kind of just go cold turkey. So what I did, this is a bit controversial, however... It, it really worked for me beautifully. Um, I actually went pescatarian, then I went vegetarian, and now I went vegan. So going through the stages, I kind of slowly started letting go of everything and kind of helped with the long-term results. It took, it took a year. The entire thing took, took me a year. And did you get any reactions from your friends, family? Yeah. With my friends, obviously, they were supportive. Um, with my family, now I come from a Punjabi family. It's always meat on the table no matter what. So my father and I had quite a few arguments about um, why I'm going vegan. He thought, it was, he thought it was a phase. He thought, okay, fine, you know, I'm going to go through this and want to come out eating meat again. Like, I won't be able to do it. Um, he literally said, if you don't eat meat, you're going to get diabetes. 
So <laughs> I don't know how he was relating it. Yeah, um, that was an easy argument to get out of, clearly. <laughs> but ever since then, he's been really supportive. Um, I explain, I explain my views. He's done his own research as well, actually. Um, I'm actually hoping to take him to Almarai Farms at the end of the month because now we've been having an argument about the dairy industry. As he's getting convinced, my younger brothers and sisters are getting convinced too. Literally, my younger brother, they have cooking classes in their school. And he went up to his teacher and they were making lasagna and he got fake meat, he got fake cheese and he's like, listen, my sister's vegan, we need to make this completely vegan for her. And he came back with like a completely vegan lasagna. His friends were asking, why are you doing this? And, you know, just it starts the conversation going. So I'm, I'm really, really happy with the support I get from my family. So bring us back to how this this impacted you know, your transition impacted the restaurant itself. Like, uh, so obviously when you started, did that make you sort of relook at the restaurant's menu and see if it was, uh, you know, if it had more, if it had more options? Absolutely. Um, so as I said, my closest friend, her name's Ria, and um, she was vegetarian at the time. She had difficulty finding a lot of vegetarian food. So the reason our menu itself is so vegetarian inclusive is because of her. Now that was already there. When I ate Every day, obviously, I was eating from the restaurant. And when I started making my transition, pescatarian food was easy. We had fish. When we went we're vegetarian, that was easy. I had the vegetarian dishes. When I went vegan, that's when I had nothing on the menu as such. And that's when, obviously, I realized, if I can't eat from a restaurant, how can I expect other vegans to come here? Um, and obviously, that's when I actually came to realize that being vegan is not only making that change in your life, but it's also making it impacting everything that you do. You know, and that's when I realized I got I got to bring this to my business as well. I need to start being a bit more active in the community per se. You know, and, and we're starting to see this all over the city now. Uh, you know, more and more restaurants are are sort of you, you, the menus are getting more and more inclusive, right? Uh, at least the the options for vegetarians are expanding, and then of course the options for vegans as well. Um, and then I think the restaurants are also getting more aware. Even if you were to tell the staff, you know, they'd at least be able to tell you, okay, you know what, well, I can do, you know, I can do this and make it vegetarian, I can do this and make it vegan. So I, I can, like, this dish is vegetarian, but I can, you know, replace this for you and it'll be vegan. But at the same time, I mean, you know, that's not necessarily how you as a as someone that runs a restaurant would want the menu to be, right? You don't want the menu to be like, okay, well, you know, I'll take a bunch of things out for you and there you go, it's a vegan dish, right? Uh, so, so tell us, I mean, how, like, how did you go about that? I mean, did you sort of take what you had existing and, and try to make it vegan? Did you sort of say, okay, let's, let's look at a fresh slate and try and create um, vegan options? So that's actually one of my favorite questions because um, when it comes to redesigning a menu, previously veganism had such a bad rap, like, oh, what do you eat? Grass, you know? And when it came to taking chicken out of the dish, they, they didn't think about replacing it with any kind of substance, you know? Because at, at, at that time, potatoes, um, tofu, even uh, mushrooms were considered a side dish. When it came to the menu as such, I wanted to keep... The biggest thing for me was I didn't want to invent new dishes, as you know, because we have different cuisines you know we have the filipino cuisine we have the japanese cuisine if i invent a whole new dish for the vegan menu people aren't going to be able to really experience the cuisine for itself so what i basically did was i took the meatier substances for example mushrooms you know it's so hearty avocado um it's changed that with with the meat in the dish and just it, it fits so perfectly you still have the same flavors coming through so for instance um the tofu chili that you tried today, the tofu is substitute for the chicken, but it's still a good hearty meal. You still get to have your tofu chili per se, you know, the Chinese food. You still have the same flavors. Because a lot of people, when you go vegan, you can't have pizza, for instance. You know, and you crave those flavors. You don't want to try a brand new bread with cheese or bread with vegan cheese. You know, you want to have 
the authentic pizza itself. So this is a great this is a great way to just kind of convert the menu into a vegan menu. So once you started creating these options and and stuff, did you you know how did you go about testing it? Did you just test it with like like vegans and vegetarians, or did you get some meters to come in and say, okay, why don't you guys try it and see if uh, this is something you you know you guys would enjoy? Actually, I did exactly like I said. I got everyone involved in this because my friends and family, even the pe- people who are not vegan, they're supportive of this. So you mentioned also you know getting the word out and all that. I mean, how did you go about doing that? So when you went ahead and launched uh, you know a dedicated vegan menu and stuff, you know there are tons of restaurants in in the city in general, uh, but then you know the number of restaurants that are offering uh, you know more vegan options and stuff are are also increasing. So how did you go about, you know, sort of marketing it? So when I say that the vegan community is really strong, that was no exaggeration. It All it took me was literally one post on Vegan Steak Dubai and um, there was one more Facebook page and it just blew up. Instantly people were coming the same day, the next day, I was getting calls, asking about the ingredients, asking about, you know, when you launched and just a lot of interest. So it, it's honestly just thanks to the vegan community. I haven't even started marketing it yet properly. It's been a year. So I think one of the things I'm always curious about is sort of the, the business side of it, right? I mean, obviously, in, in this case, you are extremely passionate about, you know, you've, you've invested, you know, all this effort and time into creating this dedicated vegan menu. You, do you see enough demand today that, that you uh, would be incentivized to expand on this, to, you know, to add more things, to expand the menu, to do more? A hundred percent. So there actually is a lot of demand. Um, so like I said, targeting the Filipino menu, targeting the Japanese menu, we are the only restaurant that has a Filipino vegan menu. I'm so happy you brought that up earlier. Um, and because of that, it's it's something that people can come here and try. You know, that is that is leading to a spike in demand with different communities that want to come and try it. But the biggest thing um, that I do see demand for right now, that I, I, I'm moving to Montreal and I'm starting a vegan restaurant over there. And obviously I would not be able to do that if I didn't see any kind of money coming in either because I need to kind of sustain myself as well. Um, the biggest demand that I can see coming in is vegan fast food. People over here... McDonald's, you know, when you're hungry, you need a quick burger, but there is no vegan alternative. Customers I've spoken to, people I've spoken to, they're like, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I can't go vegan because there's no easy, quick, fast option. People often think veganism is about being healthy, you know? Common misconception. Not all vegan food is healthy. Some people do want that kind of a fast food alternative. Without that, they can't go vegan, per se. So that's something you're looking for? Yeah, that is something, actually. I found, I found suppliers already that make... Um, Satan burgers and Satan nuggets and I basically want to have what McDonald's has but a vegan version. So I'm sure you had, uh, you know, before you sort of made the decision, before you sort of, um, you know, confirmed it and all that, I mean, I'm sure you had plans, you were, whether it was new menu items or there other things that you wanted to do with the restaurant, you know, how, how have you guys have sort of handling that transition in terms of, you know, your plans with the, with the vegan menu and, and all of that? The Hub 7, like I said, it's, it was my sister's brainchild already, and now that she's back from her MBA, she, she's going to be taking over the Hub 7 as it is. The vegan menu itself, um, she's going to keep it running. She, there is money coming in through there. It, isn't, it doesn't change anything in the kitchen. It doesn't take them any more time to make. You know, they're all retrained in it. She's keeping that, that they're not only out of respect for me, but also for the demand that's still there. We have a lot of um, customers that come all the time, you know, consistently, loyal customers. She understands that it's so easy to change things into into into, ve- into a vegan item just by simple replacement of the main ingredient, the meat. Um, so it's, it's something very easy to do. So what she's actually thinking of doing is what I'm doing now. When we introduce new items in the menu itself, have a ve- vegan version. Whether it's on the menu or not, the staff are aware of it. 
the only things that will go on the menu are things that you know star items but for instance if you know we sit down and someone wants steak obviously we're not going to have a vegan steak on the menu but we can tell them you know we can do a cauliflower steak for you instead the staff are very very well aware of what can be done she's definitely going to keep that going so yeah, i mean i'm also a little bit intrigued about you know you talk about your move to montreal because so you said you're going there to study right uh, but then you're also you've got plans to launch your own restaurant you even mentioned you're in touch with some suppliers i mean how does that happen you know while you're sitting here so i've actually always wanted to start an international business when i went vegan it was the easy thing i was all, i already had a restaurant i knew, i know how it works and it was it was the quickest thing that came to my mind you know, the quickest thing i could start and make a difference in the vegan community um now i definitely want to do my mba as well you know get get a bit of experience see what's happening out there um with the mba what i'm getting from i'm going to mcgill university they have an amazing startup um environment over there so the support that i'm getting through them to start a pop-up restaurant during my two years there the investors the the university So hopefully when I start there I'm going to start with a food truck with their help through the Dobson Entrepreneurship Center um and then with that food truck I'll test everything out and then take it from there. So the main move itself centers around my plan. What are some of the differences you see perhaps? I mean so you mentioned obviously a food truck and you know we have a little bit of a food truck scene here but I I don't think it's the same as what uh, we think in North America in the US in Canada uh you know in terms of the food truck scene but do you see any other yeah, do you see any differences in terms of how you know sort of the the restaurant scene is from your side of the fence? 100%. I mean other than the legal aspect of things um the restaurant industry in dubai it's all about flair what what can you what can you do that's different in canada there are a lot more about the environment about veganism they have at least four different restaurants that i found that serve vegan poutine just just within the radius of my campus so they're, they're very very accepting of this and they're very encouraging as well the vegan society over there is surpri- not well not surprisingly but 10 times as strong as the one over here let's talk a little bit about more in terms of you know just running a restaurant uh, i guess in dubai in particular but uh, in general as well um i'm kind of curious I mean, what are the kind of challenges that you that you see i mean you know i'm not limiting this just to the vegan menu but uh, and we'll talk about that too but i mean just in general in terms of uh, you know some of the challenges i mean what what what's it oh like my to God. you know to do it's that? honestly it's insane like it's one of the hardest things it's the hardest industry to be in i mean It's it's very fat interesting because you meet all kinds of customers. We literally had a customer 2 weeks ago that threatened to call the cops because we couldn't give them a reservation for the teppanyaki. It's it's honestly amazing. He's screaming. He's like if I'm not going to get a reservation for teppanyaki, I'm calling the cops to your place. I'm going to see you there in half an hour with the cops. I'm like, okay. Go ahead. Whoa, uh, you know, sorry. I I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking to myself like why am I not eating the teppanyaki? Because apparently like you know people need to to call the cops over it. Um I I, I would imagine you arrive at a restaurant when someone's willing to call the cops over a reservation. Right? The moment that happened, I mean this is going down in the books. <laughs> Writing my own tomato review. <laughs> yeah, I'm so customers aside, um, there's obviously problems. Now, turnover in Dubai is extremely high, which is really difficult to do because every staff you hire, minimum, minimum you spend on just the hiring process, 10,000 dirhams. Deposits, um, visa costs, everything. It's it's insane. So the biggest problem in the restaurant industry right now, I've spoken to other other restaurant owners, is getting the right manager. We've been through seven in the last 3 years. Why was this? I mean, they just quit or is there like it was just they were not good enough and you had to let them go? Like what what was the reason for for that kind of turnover? Honestly, it's it's just been crazy. There was one guy that um used to hold interviews for waitresses 
just for the heck of it so you could kind of meet girls. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say to that, actually. Because also, like, with training staff, you know, you, you cannot conduct training enough times because... Number one, turnover is so high. You know, pe- waitresses, waiters keep c- coming and going. Number two, even when you do explain it, I don't know how the next day they forget. So, obviously, training, um, stock control is the hardest thing. I mean, you know, vegetables go to waste, all of that. It's, it's just all around, it's very difficult. Overheads are the highest, highest thing to take care of because food cost is minimal. You won't believe how low the costs actually are, but when it comes to actually running the place, there's rent, there is electricity, there is um, salaries. That is where most of the money goes, to be honest. There's not a lot of money in the restaurant business. There's a misconception that there is. Nothing. And I think in Dubai too, I think it's very, uh, maybe up and down, right? I mean, people are always looking for something new and interesting. I think you have to be on top of changes and stuff like that, right? Like you can't sort of... Oh, absolutely. They're hot places. They don't um, unlike in other countries, this is a trend I've seen in Dubai, people don't have a spot that they go to again and again and again. They go to a spot about five, time, five times max and they switch over to another one. Yeah, you get bored. Um, so that's something that's very... Retaining customers, really difficult. So I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, the challenges on the vegan side of things. So I'm looking at your menu. I mean, a lot of the things, a lot of the replacements, a lot of the, the core ingredients are things that are fairly easily available, like mushrooms and tofu and other veggies. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, there is there is now an increasing trend in terms of uh, a lot of sort of meat replacements. I mean, you look at things like seitan and, and all of that. But these are not things that are that are yet easily available here, right? Uh, so people wanting those things, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it must be a challenge. So they actually... No, two two things that I discussed with that. Number one, using Satan in general. I know I'm doing this. I know I'm going to be going to Montreal and starting a, a fast food chain based around Satan. But <laughs> sorry, just a word. I, I feel so talking about Satan in general. People are not very. The vegan community here is very divided. Um, they have very strong opinions on using Satan. They're like, oh, you know, why would you want a meat replacement? Why do you want something that tastes like dead flesh? You know. Number two, getting good quality Satan is close to impossible. The, the price that is quoted to restaurants is very close to what consumers are paying anyway because they're trying to, you know, sell it to everyone. Um, so we're not, I'm not able to make it feasible. The best thing to do is with vegetables and tofu and everything. I think this is also one of the reasons why, I mean, I, I think it's a misconception in, in many ways, but a lot of people feel like vegan food is, is too expensive, right? I mean, it's because of this. I mean, and... When you look at our region, especially um, when you're looking at these kind of replacements, things like seitan and stuff, stuff that's not produced here, uh, or stuff, uh, or there, there are. I mean, there are numerous brands, for example, in, in the U.S. So we see some of it coming from Europe as well. Um, and then, you know, you, when you're trying to sort of source those brands here, when you're trying to bring those brands that are doing things in a in a good way, in a sustainable way, in a in, a, in an organic way, and all of this other stuff, um, and trying to source them here, I mean, that itself poses you know a challenge as well because you know trying to get them. I mean, we've seen recently. We've had a couple of really, really interesting vegan brands that have sort of started making an entry here, uh, but their products are expensive, right? I mean, the, those replacements are expensive, and so it's hard. I mean, it's. I mean, in a way, I think you guys have handled it, and you know, you guys have done an interesting thing with this, where you've kind of focused on, uh, you know, looking at the local ingredients, looking at the, the good veggies and stuff like that, and so that I think that that may have helped. I think you guys, in terms of your pricing and making sure it was reasonable and not sort of. So actually, this is something that really irks me. A lot of the vegan restaurants in Dubai, they charge premium for no reason because I know what's happening in the back end. You know, I know how much the cost actually is. And you will not, I'm not, I can't, obviously I'm not going to name them, but for small things like a sandwich, just because it's vegan, you're suddenly paying 45 
for no apparent reason. Yeah, and I think to your point, I mean, we are, I think we're starting, we are seeing this a little bit. You know, it's, it's sort of they're treating it like some kind of fat, like it's a special, this healthy diet thing. Um, and therefore, like, you know, it, it's got a higher price point. And then maybe to justify that price point, but also to maybe uh, because they don't get it, like it's it's a lot of like avocado and kale and, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's, you know, that's the other perception I tend to see sometimes where it's like, oh, you must eat avocado all the time. And I'm like, no, I really don't. Like, I, I don't eat avocados every day. You know, there's a lot of very, very simple, easy, um, you know, vegan options. People don't realize how much, how many foods are actually naturally vegan. I mean, oatmeal, for instance, you know, with almond milk, of course. Yeah. It's chia pudding. It's, it's incredible. It's the same thing with the with the people that are arguing about, oh, why are you, why are you making your food taste like meat? They don't realize that it's not about, it's not about the food. It's mainly about the animals. We're, we're trying to create a replacement for what we are eating on a daily basis anyway. No, I kind of understand it. I mean, I don't necessarily have the same perspective because I was a vegetarian for a long time before I uh, became vegan. And so, um, you know, that's not something that necessarily, like, I need in my diet or that's something that I'm, I'm seeking out. And in fact, I, I don't really eat that. But but at the same time, I mean, you know, we are talking about a lot of people that are very conscious that want to adopt a vegan diet and stuff. But you know, like meat eating was so essential, such an integral part of their life for 20, 30 years. It's it's hard. I mean, we we understand that. And so sometimes when I when I see that sort of debate happening, when I see that sort of, um, you know, that being thrown, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you if you make your food taste like meat, then it kind of is pointless. And, and I think, no, it, no, it isn't because it, it, it's still it's still keeping up with the principle of it, which is they don't want our animals to be harmed in, you know, where they get their food, but it's just they like the taste and they like, they enjoy that taste and they want to recreate the burger and the steak and whatever, but in a, you know, in a, you know, in a plant-based way. And I mean, if that's what it takes to get them, um, you know, to, to enjoy a plant-based diet because it's that flavor that they're seeking, then they can get it. So I kind of wanted to touch on with you as well uh, about the food wastage angle a little bit. Um, you know, someone that runs a restaurant. Uh, you know, when 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 I was younger and stuff. I mean, this was something I saw a lot. I mean, you know, because you have to if you have to throw the stuff that you make, you know, the next day and thing, things like that. What a lot of the, especially a lot of the bakeries and stuff would do was, you know, they would slash prices like in the evening. So you know, you, things like your pastries and your donuts and all of that would become half price and 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 even lesser sometimes because they didn't want the food to go to waste. So they would incentivize people buying them so that uh, you know that uh, that they could take them away um yeah so so you know I'm, I'm just curious i mean you as a restaurant i mean what what do you guys do what are some of the things that maybe you guys do to sort of uh, you know uh, handle food wastage and making sure that it, it doesn't get wasted? honestly this is so obviously completely in terms of wastage but also in terms of stock control obviously the more you buy the lower the price the problem with vegetables is they go bad so fast. You put an avocado next to potatoes and it starts ripening really fast. You've got to be careful how you store our items as well. Um, so the best thing that we do that's worked beautifully is we prepare the vegetables, you know, whatever we need to do, chop it up, boil it, or whatever needs to happen, and then freeze it. Lifespan increases drastically. Another thing we do is um, we see what has um, what's got like one week left, you know, or three days left, for instance, with... Um, Red peppers, for instance. You know, once it starts going bad, you can't use the thing at all. You, you can understand when it's at its peak, at its, at its highest uh, right point. So that morning, we decided this is what we're going to push on customers. Tomorrow onwards, we start deteriorating. We can't use it anyway. The biggest thing that the restaurant should do is see what that peak point is 
and try and push those dishes on that day itself. Uh, and then what about the disposal side of things? I mean, we all try to do our little bit, right? We, we talk about doing things like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to recycle some of this versus, you know, throwing out the trash and stuff. Uh, but I mean, you guys will have a very different scale compared to what I have in my house and stuff, right? So how do you guys go about that? So disposal of items from the kitchen, there's strict laws over here about how we take care of it and it all needs to go in. For instance, food that is left on the table, we have to throw it away. So even in terms of getting, um, there are places abroad that um, take leftover food from restaurants and kind of give it to the homeless or you know give it to other places. That's not allowed over here. There is one company actually, there's a guy I spoke to that's trying to start a company like that, which I'm very happy about. He is trying to get permissions, but um, it's just about the progression in the buy and it's happening it's definitely happening you know i mean i can see that some of the challenges to that too i mean you know you, you you're trying to give all this food away and then you know something goes wrong i mean something gets uh, contaminated or something like that and you know that it presents a whole different challenge but you know at the same time you kind of want to look at and say you know there's all this food that gets wasted we know it gets wasted and you know what can we do about it how can we minimize some of it because i mean you know when you guys are operating a restaurant i mean this is bound to happen right and so um it's sort of i think it, it it remains a challenge to to be seen as to you know it it, it remains a challenge one way to actually avoid the buffet wastage conundrum is pre-prepare items in the kitchen, same thing what we normally do, but have a mini service buffet, not a standard buffet. That way, you know, they order off the menu, and that's actually what we do over here. So last Ramadan, we had the teppanyaki buffet. Whatever you want is made in front of you. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen. I don't. I don't know if necessarily if it's taken off all that much. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's the pop, the more popular buffet at least as of today. Um, but you know, we've seen. I've seen a lot of restaurants that do this. That they kind of do. They kind of do like a sort of a split thing. So you, you know, some of the appetizers, maybe the the salads and stuff, and then maybe the desserts are kind of. Uh, you know, up on the table and you can go get them. Uh, but then the main course and the main dishes and, and stuff like that, um, you know, are served to you when you order them. And in a way, it's it's kind of nice because it also helps with food wastage. It also helps a little bit, especially, I mean, for us, sometimes um, that's that's great because that means you can customize the dish. You know, sometimes you want to take out a dairy element or something. That way it's good too. But then also you get to customize it. You're eating it freshly cooked as opposed to something that you know, was kept. So there are some advantages to it. And it's nice to see that some restaurants are trying to tackle food wastes in that way, because it kind of, at least it, there's more control over, um, you know, what's being served and how much is being cooked. Um, biggest thing is honestly wastage right now. It's, it's, it's huge. It's a lot of food people, if they don't finish it, you know, they don't, there's a certain culture here. I don't know if you're aware. Um, and the restaurant business, I see it a lot. People for some reason are embarrassed to pack up their food. I don't, they, they think it's some kind of a, bad thing to do um which is something which i i can't understand i i even it's one piece just have it it's fine yeah you know and I, I see that sometimes even when we're going out even with my friends and stuff you know there'll be like something small will be left behind and it kind of it's just let go and i'm like ah you know can someone pack this and take it i mean i can't eat it and i won't eat it so there's no point but like can someone at least take it back home this isn't it isn't necessarily the same kind of challenge I think because you know back home you always uh, I don't know I mean that's what I see as well everybody packs everything up and they take it and they give it away to somebody you, you know you have people on the property that, uh, that are looking after it and you give it away you know the people that are in a shelter or something um, and you have your own maids and things like that and you kind of just you know at least you make sure that the food doesn't go to waste and again I think that's a bit of a challenge here as well to be able to do that easily and actually it's really interesting I'm so glad you brought that up because there are certain areas where you can basically put up that they I think this is government issued fridges i might be wrong um and you can put food inside there uh, yeah i think that's primarily targeted construction workers but also otherwise but i think that also it's i think separately packaged food right i don't think you can 
put stuff that's per- easily perishable. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how it works. So actually, I'm going to look into it now that we've had this talk because it seems very interesting. But I do want to know like how they control the, the food, you know, if it's contaminated or anything, because no one's checking. They're just putting the food inside. So let me ask you this question because I think it's something that comes up a lot in, in a lot of debates and stuff. And I have I have my take on it and I have my thoughts on it. But, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, often is a, is a contradiction, I guess perhaps more so if you're, you know, if you're running a restaurant, you know, you're running some kind of enterprise or something that also serves meat. This is the argument that's always placed to say that, you know, if you are um, running this restaurant, if you are supporting this restaurant, if you're doing something with this restaurant, um, you know, you are kind of indirectly supporting the animal cruelty. And then that's... Um, so th- that's hard, right? I mean, that it is hard for for someone to have to do that. Um, so then, you know, does, so does it upset you? How, so how does someone deal with that? I mean, I know, and I know you've done a lot in terms of you know expanding the vegan menu and adding more and more options and trying to focus on that and market that. Uh, but you know, how how do you handle that sort of? That's why I call myself the project manager. <laughs> no, no, honestly, it's it's a great restaurant. I'm very proud to be a part of it. Um, the only thing is, when it comes now, the money that I made before. I'm not working on that anymore. Expansion of it, I'm not doing any of that unless it comes to the vegan side. So, for instance, we're having the Taste of Dubai or um, the group that's coming soon. It's a group coming soon to kind of try our food. They have a special society where they come to taste the food and then they market it for us. So for that, I you know, I told them we have a vegan menu and they're like, you know what, we're not vegan. We kind of want to try the other dishes as well. And this is why, we're, even though I'm trying to stay away from that side, I do need to be involved. So the way I handle these situations, basically trying to push veganism wherever I can. So over here, I offer two versions of everything. I offer the vegan version and the non-vegan version so they can at least try it and know if this is there. So in terms of running a restaurant that even has meat, I obviously I face it on a daily basis because I'm seeing them cooking and I can see that the meat coming in, you know, the dead animals coming in. But this is where I have to make a decision. If I leave the restaurant, if I go work somewhere else, can I still make the difference that I'm making right now? Or am I letting go of an opportunity cost? You know? Um, which is why, in the end, when I go to Montreal, that's why I'm starting a completely vegan restaurant. Meanwhile, in Dubai, I want to do the most I can from where, where I can see me doing the most is in this restaurant right now. The money is in mine, which is why, obviously, I can't change it to completely vegan. For now, this is, this, is, this is the best that I can do and the best that I can see myself doing along the future plans. I was kind of leading you to this exact point, right? Because, um, you know, one of the things, I mean, I, I do get, um, you know, I, I do get some opposition when I say that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of us, a lot of people that are, that are doing that are vegan and not, not just vegan, but also even vegetarian because they don't want to contribute to, to animal cruelty um, and, and the killing of animals. And so it is something that, that, that you know, that, that's what we stand for. But at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, you know, you, let's say you as a restaurant owner, um, you know, you're working hard, you're, you're putting sort of this, these vegan options on the menu and you're really trying to, to make this work. And then, you know, everybody turns around and says, you know what, what but you also serve meat, therefore I'm not going to eat at your restaurant. And so when you go back to your investors or it, it becomes hard to make a business case for, for keeping these options on the menu, right? Unless they're actually eaten, unless there's a demand for it, right? If I completely boycott all restaurants that serve meat, you know, and I don't go there, I don't buy the vegan dishes, they will never know there's a demand for it. That's what's happening over here, for instance. I can't remove the meat dishes and for my investors to show them this is this is where the money is because there is no money coming in. People will if people start boycotting restaurants or even places entirely for that and don't show their support for the vegan items, there's no way of really knowing there is any potential there for a business. The sad truth is there is a much larger larger non uh, well a non-vegan society over here you know so if the vegans boycott 
the, these restaurants, it's not going to make that much of a difference. If they come out and buy it on a constant basis, you see a demand. You see that you want to improve your menu. You want to improve your non-vegan, your vegan items. I kind of wanted to get a sense from you on the other side of this as well. I mean, uh, you know, we were talking about catering to uh, vegans, having vegan menus and all of this stuff. Uh, but what about the other side? I mean, do you, is this something you guys do in terms of, you know, what about when, when non-vegans, uh, you know, come to the restaurant? I mean, uh, you know, is, is this, do you see that? Do you see them wanting to try these options or, or not so much? So actually, that in itself is a very interesting question because a lot of the customers, the moment they see a vegan menu, they have questions which is something that comes with, with being vegan as it is. So naturally, when, when they come in and they see the vegan menu, they do want to try it. And they always have vegetarian friends that come in and then they try their food as well. So this is actually a reoccurring trend. It's not like a, you know, once, once, once um, it, it happens a lot. The only community, to be honest, that I find it very hard to convince to go for the vegan menu, you know, like even when you're recommending or anything, they kind of look at it with disdain, is honestly the Asian community. Um, I think it's because of our Punjabi roots, because of how much meat we naturally used to eat, you know, back at home and everything. So it's very hard to convince convince them or even have them look at it. But I've noticed if they have a vegan or vegetarian friend, even they're willing to kind of give it a shot. Maybe that might be happening over here because when they come, like they come with their friends and they're already so open to they come for the vegan menu. Cause, yeah, and I guess, like I said, the vegan menu, I didn't really mark as much. I put it on the vegan group. So those people are coming already with the open outlook. Anam, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing all of this information with us. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, to me, it's it's been really interesting because, you know, this is a different perspective of the conversations we keep having. It's kind of interesting to see the business side of things as well, to see what, what it's like for you as well in terms of running, uh, you know, running a restaurant and the practicalities of it and, and trying to get all of this stuff to, to work and to expand and, and some of the challenges that come with that. So I really appreciate that. If, if you'd like to share with our listeners, you know, where people can find out more information about your restaurant and, and things like that. One of the biggest ways that people actually find us, other than other than these groups, is through online online web, online magazines. Um, so Insider, for instance, we were mentioned once and suddenly about like we were booked for days just for the vegan menu. Our Facebook is The Hub 7 and our Instagram is The Hub 7 as well. It's pretty easy to find us. So that's it from us from this episode. As always, you can subscribe to this show in any podcast player of your choice. Just look for The Two Vegans. You can also find us on Instagram at the.2.vegans. This is something we shared with Anam, so I'm going to leave you with her reaction to our Instagram page. Oh, hey, these aren't bad at all. So cute. Whose cats are these? I would take them in a hole. So cute. Oh my God, this looks delicious. I love how you just said the ra- a random picture of a cat's butt. That is so cute. <laughs>